Hi, and welcome to episode eight of Talking Shit About with me, Elizabeth Whipperman, and in the background, Martok the puppy ripping cardboard. She just got spayed, so I was going to say I'm just letting her do whatever she wants, but I kind of do that anyways. Uh, Let's see. Today, we're going to be talking about obsessive compulsive disorder with artist Graham Barry. I loved this interview because, oh my god, now the cats are meowing in the background. Oh my god. It's been a week. Um, (laughs) The um, interview was great because Graham really carried it. I did not pound coffee as per my usual pre-podcast rituals. So yeah, he did great. And I really hope you get something out of this episode. I sure did. And I will have a bunch of information at the end of the podcast. I've started to record outros, so they're a little less awkward when they end. Um, So yeah, I will have more info for you at the end of the podcast. But for now, let's go ahead and uh, talk some shit. Everybody, I am here today with Graham Barry, artist out. I was, oh my god, I already fucked it up and it's only sentence one. <laughs> and then I messed up the sentence talking about the sentence. Okay, one more time. I am here with Graham Barry, an artist based out of Portland, Oregon, which is close to where I am now, which makes it extra exciting. Graham, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you're here. Wow, this is such an awkward intro. Um, I feel like normally I'm a little less awkward than this. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of personal questions today. But before sure. I start, I figured I'd let you get in a little bit about yourself um, and what you do before we really dive into it. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a 40 year old man. Um, I've lived in uh, and around Portland for a very long time. I'm originally from the East Coast, but I moved out to Oregon with my family when I was a kid and grew up mainly around here. Um, I've worked as a graphic designer for a, a long time, 15 years or so since I graduated college. Um, but my passion uh or you know what i what i really like to do with my time uh is illustration work uh particularly um comics i've been trying to advance my skills as a in quotation marks cartoonist for about five years um i got a kind of a wild idea five or six years ago that uh I wanted to, I wanted to be, a, I wanted to do cartooning. I wanted to be a cartoonist. It was something that I, I wanted to do as a kid. Um, and I had never invested the amount of time it, it really takes to, to get better at drawing. And I was at a sort of a crossroads in my life. And I decided that this is something I wanted to invest time in. So since then, I've been writing and drawing comics, which initially were uh, exclusively 
diary comics, what are called diary comics by, you know, sort of semi pejoratively by people who make them and read them, um, which is just to say auto bio stuff about my life and a lot, a lot about my, my struggles with mental health over the years. And um, since then, I've tried to uh, create a little bit of uh, distance between my own life and the, the things that I uh, draw about um, and write about, uh, just so it's not exclusively um, like from my own, uh, uh, it's from my voice, but not, not like depicting myself in cartoon form, doing these things or living life. Um, so I, I try to get a little bit more distance um, that way now, which I think invites more people in uh, to uh, see themselves in it, hopefully. But uh, yeah, uh, I live here in Portland with uh, my wife and uh, a couple of cats and a dog. And um, yeah, I think that about sums it up. When you say cartoonist, do you mean like, um, I mean, obviously the webcomic online, which is how I found you and your work, but are you, is that like editorial comics and? Well, I think that the term cartoonist is a funny one. Uh, sometimes people uh, use it as a negative thing I think oh you know that's not a serious artist you know it's a cartoonist or something but um yeah a cartoonist can apply to a lot of a lot of different sorts of art uh, I think of a you know a cartoonist is somebody who draws cartoons you know principally comics um that was the kind of industry term that was used for a long period of time for people like you know, Charles Schultz and uh, your Bill Watterson and people who had strips in the Sunday newspaper um, and not necessarily the people who drew comic books like your, you know, Jack Kirby or someone that I think that that had more the term of comic book artist or comic artist uh, and later graphic novelist. <laughs> but um, in the you know I'm not like Mr. Comics I don't know a hell of a lot of people in it but from my experience um, cartoonist is a is kind of a, a a term for the a person that you know writes and draws their stuff and and is 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 creating uh, comics you know in this in in 2021 it's it's um, not a uh, a negative thing to be labeled of. And I, I think it's, it's it's sort of aspirational. A cartoonist is, uh, you know, kind of a auteur, you know, like a, uh, uh, I reference those people like Charles Schultz, like Bill Watterson, like uh, Gary Larson, all those people, you know, wrote and drew and lettered and did everything themselves. Um, so it's sort of a, a one uh, creator, uh, vision for uh, making the whole thing whereas a, a comic book artist like I referenced Jack Kirby he was a penciler uh, he would you know create uh, all the art in pencil and then someone else would come along and ink it which is much more common in the sort of assembly line style of, of comics production because it's uh, requires more volume a lot more work uh, so long tangential uh, uh, explanation there but uh, that's, I guess, how I define cartoonist. Yeah, I feel like there is that sort of, like, I don't even know if it's a stigma, but 
around like animation and um just sort of cartoony style art as sort of like immature but that's definitely not the case um especially as someone who draws kind of in that style um definitely very biased but um <laughs> i think it's especially useful when we're looking at topics of that are a little bit dark um so like things like mental illness maybe having images that are a little softer you know make it a little less i don't know make it easier to approach i guess but um sure this is my segue yeah. <laughs> into um <laughs> the mental illness realm and um, yeah sure well yeah th let's talk about how messed up i am and do it welcome to therapy <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah, so I guess I'm I'm here because I am a uh, a person who deals with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I uh, have been affected by that condition for the better part of my life, um, and I think it is. I mean, it's not fun to talk about. Really, it is. Uh, uh, a serious uh, uh, issue. It has caused me and continues to cause me a, a, a huge amount of difficulty in my life. Um, but it is something that has a, uh, I think, a misperception uh, of of it in the popular culture, especially um, that even though it is difficult for me to talk about, I think it is important to. Uh, discuss in an honest way what it actually is, at least from my perspective and my uh, my personal experience, um, because there is a lot of uh, BS about about what it is um, and and how it affects people. So, what is the definition of OCD? That's it's funny you should ask because before <laughs> this, I thought, well, why don't I bring up the DSM, uh, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, currently in the fifth edition um, definition of OCD, which is really uh, complicated but interesting to read. Um, so the diagnostic criteria for obsessive compulsive disorder is A, presence of obsessions, compulsions, or both. Obsessions are defined by recurrent and persistent thoughts, urges, or impulses that are experienced at some time during the disturbance as intrusive and unwanted, and that in most individuals cause marked anxiety or distress. Uh, the individual attempts to ignore or suppress such thoughts, urges, or images, or to neutralize them with some thought, other thought or action, i.e. by performing a compulsion. Compulsions are defined by repetitive behaviors, e.g. hand washing, ordering, checking, or mental acts, e.g. praying, counting, repeating words, um, dot, dot, dot. Uh, behaviors or mental acts are aimed at preventing or reducing anxiety or distress or preventing some dreaded event or situation. However, these behaviors or mental acts are not connected in a realistic way with what they are designed to neutralize or prevent. Um, in addition, obsessions and compulsions are time-consuming, um, blah, 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 blah. But that gets you most of the way there to at least the kind of bare bones. What is this thing? Um, I 
have only thought of myself as a person who has OCD for about five or six years, um, despite in work in therapy later looking back and seeing, oh yes, well, this is something that I have dealt with for the better part of my adult life emerging initially when I was, or most prominently when I was about 18 or 19 years old. Um, as I said, I'm 40 now, so 20 plus years. Um, and a lot of that was um, sort of unbeknownst to me that I was, that the ways that I was acting were guided by this uh, kind of a disorder. Um, and I guess I should say, um, and when I'm speaking about this, I'm, I'm not a mental health professional. I have no uh, training in, in psychology or psychiatry. Uh, everything that I say is, is my own personal experience as a, as a person who is diagnosed uh, as having OCD. In my own experience, uh, that first criteria that, that is mentioned of uh, recurrent or persistent thoughts um, causing anxiety or distress um, is, is you know, sort of the hallmark of the condition. Um, I have at, at various times um, been uh, uh, antagonized by, by various thoughts, um, uh, specifically um, over the years. Um, you know, I, I might have one uh, a big kind of thing that's bothering me at one time, um, and that might go away in a, a year and become less, you know, less important to me. It might get, you know, some contradictions appear in my brain that, that I don't you know, necessarily care about whatever that thing I was obsessing about anymore. And then it gravitates to something else. I think that that's another uh, criteria or, or uh, sort of hallmark of the condition. I had a therapist once uh, describe it to me as like whack-a-mole. Um, people with OCD um, will have something that they're um, obsessing about um, and you can receive treatment and work through uh, whatever that specific obsession is, but then it will pick something else to obsess about later. Um, it will reemerge in a different way. And it's a condition that because of that is not just one thing that, okay, I'm, I'm obsessed about this thing and then I get over it and then I'm fine. It's a consistent coming back uh, picking at uh, uh, whatever new things you might be afraid of or, or uh, anxious about, and uh, it, it continues to reemerge in that way. So it has to be um, managed as a, a, a chronic condition and not something that's uh, spe specific short term or uh, that can be like quickly resolved. And so, what does that look like for you in your own life? When I was I, I said that I uh, started experiencing this uh, when I was about 18 or 19 years old. And just to give a little bit of background about my own, I've, I've spoken about this in, in more vague terms about you know, things that I've been obsessed about or whatever, but uh, these are all things that I've drawn comics about. Um, but at a, a point in time, they were all things that were deeply shameful, really scary. 
um, intense, intensely uh, anxiety inducing. Um, so I can look back on them and uh, laugh about them to some degree, but also these are things that were just horrible to experience. Um, when I was, I guess, 19 years old, the first thing that I, I was really obsessed with and that sort of came out of nowhere for me was I had been a, uh, I guess you'd call like a, a, a person who's nervous going to the bathroom in uh, public settings, like, you know, uh, a ball game or something where there's a bunch of people around, like people say like nervous bladder, right? It's a term that people have used. Uh, and I, that was me, you know, I experienced that when I was a kid in school and, you know, later as I grew up, I became a teenager, but for some reason, uh, I must have had a, I, my anxiety was increasing around that time, 18, 19 years old. And, and I had some kind of a, I can't think back that far and remember what the actual catalyst was, but I had some event, maybe I was at a show or something. And I, you know, I was so anxious, I couldn't go to the bathroom. And then thereafter, it sort of spiraled into, I'm worrying all the time about, am I going to be able to go to the bathroom if I leave the house or am I going to get so nervous that I can't? And, uh, oh no, like, uh, I, I need to go to the bathroom before I leave the house and then I got to get back home before I, I have to go again. Uh, and so you can see how these things like, uh, they sort of start taking over and ruling your life, dictating the things that you can do or can or can't do, uh, which is, I think the, uh, the important part to recognize about OCD versus something that you're worried about. Um, I could be worried about getting into a situation where uh, I might be have a difficult time going to the bathroom, right? But because of this, you know, the structure of this mental condition, it becomes something that I'm thinking about all the time. I'm like trying to uh, strategize ways to uh, prevent myself from having to go to the bathroom. I'm not drinking water. I'm like uh, thinking that I can't go to places where there's a lot of people because there's going to be anxiety around it. It, it takes over um, everything and it, it, it just swells to encompass, you know, everything in your life and, and starts to, uh, you know, essentially say what you can or can't do. And you, you live within the, the bounds that are, that are set up for you by the condition, unless uh, you, you challenge it um, and uh, attempt to uh, kind of face up uh, to that, that fear and uh, reduce uh, the, the stress that's around it. Because if you, you practice what's called avoidance, which is what I was doing, you know, by, you know, not going out, not going to places where there were a lot of people or all these things. It's, it's avoidance of the uh, situation that gives rise to the anxiety or the obsessiveness. Um, and uh, it was only, you know, years later that I, I got over this, uh, this specific uh, instance of OCD, but it wasn't through therapy at that time because I didn't discover uh, OCD specific therapy. And at this time, I wasn't thinking of myself as a person who had OCD. I was thinking of myself as a person who had this specific problem um, and I was ashamed of it. And so I didn't, you know, pursue good therapy for it. 
but you know eventually the the situation sort of lost the the gripping anxiety as i i you know i got on some medication things got better for me at that time in my life when i was about 20 20 something years old and uh you know that that thing went away and then new things came up and again i wasn't thinking about oh this is this is how OCD works. I, I was just thinking of myself as like, I was diagnosed at that time by like a family doctor with, with uh, ang generalized anxiety disorder, which is sort of the big bucket for, we don't know what your problem is, but you're super anxious. So here you go. Uh, and uh, I, I took, you know, medication throughout most of my twenties um, and uh, went through many cycles of when I when I would get off medication because I didn't like the side effects, I would something new would happen and I would sort of spin out on some kind of new uh, OCD uh, uh, emergence. And it wasn't until much later when I was in my uh, mid 30s that things got so bad that I had to uh, explore new ways of, of dealing um, with, with whatever it was that was going on with me because I didn't know, I, I had been on medication, but it seemed like the medication wasn't working. And then what happened? Basically what happened is that I was, uh, I was as I say, I was in my early mid thirties and um, a bunch of life circumstances conspired together to uh, really ratchet up my uh, anxiety to previously uh, unseen levels. Uh, particularly, one of my my best friends um, was uh, diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer out of the blue, and uh, he, the stress of that experience of being there for him during that experience, which lasted uh, a year, um, basically just wrung out all of the, uh, any sort of sense of peace or calm that I had and uh, took away a lot of the fundaments of my uh, uh, previously more stable mental health things that I depended on. Um, to kind of keep me going. And at the end of it, I was really, uh, I, was, I was a huge mess. And uh, I was uh, beside myself with anxiety constantly. Um, all of my uh, relationships were in uh, turmoil. Um, and I didn't realize what it was caused by. Uh, but, but at that point, that was when I, I got into back into therapy. I wasn't in talk therapy at that point. And then I tried um, various uh, other kinds of therapy, found me to uh, a, a specialist in OCD. And uh, that's where I, I gained a lot more knowledge about my situation. Yeah, therapy. I don't know. I don't know what I would do without therapy. Every time my therapist is like, oh, time for your new CBT technique, I get all pissy. And I'm like, oh, God, like another one. You're going to make me work. But if it works, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, usually. 
Um, yeah, I've, I've had um, a mixed bag, you know, like most people have with therapy. When I, I first started going to therapy, when I, I, I talked about that uh, problem that emerged when I was about 19 years old, my, you know, family doctor gave me a bottle of Paxil and said, you have generalized anxiety disorder. And uh, here's some recommended, uh, you know, therapists. And I was in a small town at that time. And so I, I had never been to therapy. I just went to see somebody. I started talking and uh, that was my first experience with therapy and my first experience with bad therapy. Uh, this person uh, literally fell asleep on me during a session while I was like spilling oh my, my guts. Uh, I had to wake her up and then she like, oh. she tried to tell me that it was because she was on cold medication. And I was like, come on, man. Oh. <laughs> uh, another time she scolded me for premarital sex. Like I was like, oh, what is going good. on here? This is, this is, this is not good. Um, but I, I've seen a number of therapists over the years uh, and I'm currently in therapy with with people that I like. Um, and of course, you know, as I'm sure you know, the therapy is a lot about relationships. And, you know, if you trust and, and like the person that you're you're speaking to, then you're more likely, I think, to, to have better response to, to the treatment. Um, but it does also uh, depend on the, the style of uh, therapy. You mentioned CBT, which is a cognitive behavioral therapy, which is uh, one of the modalities that is used for OCD. Uh, the other one is is called, or I'm, there may be others, but the other one that I've experienced is called uh, ERP, which is called, uh, is an acronym for exposure with response prevention which is a interesting kind of therapy wherein uh, those things that you're uh, having obsessive uh, th thoughts about, um, you are essentially exposed to, it's right there in the name, uh, in a controlled way, in an attempt to gradually reduce your anxiety to those um, stimuli. So if I've, I've heard of like, uh, you know, a person who's afraid of heights and is, you know, so afraid of heights that they are, you know, they won't go park their car in a, uh, you know, in the top tier of a, a parking garage or, you know, won't ride an elevator up past a second floor of a building or something, you know, the, the therapist may take them to the, you know, if their, their anxiety is causing them uh, distress, they go to the third floor of the building, then they go to the third floor of the building. And they, they sit with that for a period of time uh, until, and this is the kind of fuzzy part of the therapy that I, I had problems with. Uh, you're supposed to stay there with that stimulus until your anxiety reduces by 50%, quote unquote, 50%, which is a funny thing uh, is to, to rate statistically, what is your anxiety? Um, I don't know what that means. I never did. And I, there is no real definition of it. It's just sort of like, I think for clinical diagnosis and, and these sorts of procedures, they have to have sort of uh, numbers uh, to be able to put down so that they can gauge if they're effective or ineffective. Um, but in my experience with uh, 
exposure therapy, I've had um, sort of middling, uh, good, really good results on some things and really uh, middling and uh, sometimes counterproductive results uh, because the introduction of a stimulus, uh, if it's too strong of a stimulus, can uh, you know, set you back. If you, you're exposed to something that is really anxiety inducing for you um, and it triggers a, a massive increase in anxiety, which then causes you to stop the therapy, um, then you've just made yourself more afraid of the thing. You haven't actually done the, uh, uh, the work. You just sort of like touch the hot stove, got burned, and now you're even more afraid of hot stoves. Uh, for lack of a better analogy. So please, back to your story. I, I went to, I, I said I, I started going to OCD specific therapy um, when I was you know, in my mid thirties. I had uh, experienced several years of, of really intense distress. And I initially thought what I needed to do was just change my, my medication wasn't working. I need new medication. And then as soon as I get on better medication, this is going to fix all my problems. And what happened was the opposite of that. I tried different medications. It became really antagonistic, uh, to my anxiety. Um, anybody who's on meds or is experienced with meds, knows, you know, it can be a, a, a ordeal finding something that works for you. It can give you worse side effects in, in the short term. It's, it's a hard process. And I found it um, very difficult. Um, so at the end of that, I got, I was off all meds and I was a complete anxious mess. Uh, and I reached out to a I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is my problem. Maybe OCD is my problem. It starts to ring some bells. Okay. So I reached out to a therapist and I started seeing this person. And over the course of a couple of years, um, I, we did work on, on numerous things that I was uh, wrestling with, uh, some to uh, a, a great effect and, and some, uh, to a lesser effect. Um, I think I need to get a little bit more specific to, to be able to talk about this in, uh, in any if, you know, effective way. So this gets a little bit complicated. It's not embarrassing necessarily. It's just like kind of specific. Um, so again, these are things that I've written about, but uh, my my life changed around 18 or 19 years old when I started to experience the emergence of, of great anxiety and uh, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder uh, symptoms. Uh, at that same time, I had been experimenting with uh, drugs. I was smoking a lot of weed at the time um, and I had done some different hallucinogens and uh, I had a, a really a bad trip on mushrooms when I was 19 years old that um, I was convinced for a long period of time that I had done myself, you know, in quotation marks, brain damage from the experience. Um, I had a intense uh, dissociative episode, essentially feeling like I was um, not, things weren't real. Um, my, 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 I was separated from my body. Um, I had a, uh, 
a, a panic, a, a, a very, very strong panic attack, um, and which I can call it now, but you know, it, it was an event that was so powerful um, that it changed the trajectory of my life and convinced me that all of my mental issues were stemming from that one thing. Um, and I thought that for many years, uh, I thought that I had, you know, caused myself to have mental illness by taking drugs. Uh, and this is not an uncommon thing, I should say, uh, that I found out later. People, uh, uh, people who, who, who deal with anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder um, you know, a lot of people have these sort of similar experiences on drugs um, that, that can uh, uh, either catalyze uh, th those issues for them, or they become a focal point for uh, obsession around. Uh, and so in the years after that experience, I was ob obsessed with this notion that my perception had somehow uh, changed uh, uh, irrevocably, that I was, um, for lack of a better term, sort of broken uh, mentally, and that I had done this all to myself, and that I, you know, so there's a lot of deep shame there, and uh, that there was nothing I could do about it to, to uh, change, you know, what had happened, what I had done, and how it would affect my life negatively. This is what I believed. And it became a, an almost religious belief. I'm not a, a spiritual person, but I, uh, I painted myself into a corner of fear, of belief that um, this most terrible thing was true. And that because of its truth, I was con condemned uh, to live out the rest of my life in this broken state and never, you know, experience life in, you know, quotation marks in the, the right way. Uh, this is a, uh, a condition that uh, is, is called uh, a depersonalization, derealization, um, the sort of uh, feeling, uh, 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 chronic feeling of, of sort of an out-of-body um, experience, um, feeling disconnected from yourself, your thoughts, your uh, words that you say, um, your, 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 everything you see, you know, it, it's all-encompassing, a, a absolutely all-encompassing uh, existential anxiety. Uh, and for a long time, I said, uh, I, I, I was, possessed of the idea that that was my, my main issue was, was this thing called, called DPDR um, and that it was incurable, untreatable. There's no medication for it. I'm just screwed. Uh, and it was uh, when I was uh, in my, that emerged when I was, you know, in my early twenties and I got on medication and I was in therapy and I, I got over it in, in, I, I got over it. My life got better. My life got remarkably better when I started taking medication again. And I, I got away from, 
you know, these really bad beliefs. But uh, there still was this sort of semi-religious belief in my mind that I, that state of mind is one that if I ever returned to it, I would be, uh, you know, it would do all the things that it did before. It would negate my, uh, all of my accomplishments. It would make everything impossible. I would be a ruined individual. Now these are, I'm saying this, but the, the thing that is uh, difficult about this condition, about OCD and about mental illness in general, uh, as an aside, is that I can describe this in words, but there is no way for me to explain adequately the amount of uh, distress uh, that this really causes. It is utter and complete suffering. You know, just what it is, uh, it is the worst, you know, state that you can be in. It is in, uh, a, a terrible, terrible, hurtful thing. So I, I magically got over it. How did I get over it? I can't remember exactly. Uh, I, I, I can tell you, and this is sort of funny, sort of sad, but I, you know, I, I invested in uh, uh, my, my health. I, I worked out a lot. I, uh, I went back to school. I, I got my degree. I, uh, I did a lot of lifestyle changes, but the thing that I eventually gave all the credit to was that I got on medication. And in my mind, what, what I told myself was that I was screwed and then I got on medication and everything got better. So what later happened was this was all a setup, right? It was an OCD setup. I was setting up a future in which it was possible for this thing to reoccur and a future that was possible where if the meds failed me, then I had no agency to fix things for myself. So when I was in my early mid thirties and this, you know, these terrible life events happened, I also at the same time made the, the really, okay, I was about to say stupid, but I'm trying to be a little bit more compassionate to myself. I, I made a bad decision to experiment with, with weed again, when it became legal and uh, weed had previously been a, a an antagonist to those sensations of sort of dissociation uh, that I had experienced previously. So I, I started to feel like uh, these sensations uh, were reemerging in me. Uh, and at the same time, uh, all this terrible stuff was happening in my life. Uh, and everything around me just collapsed because I became possessed of that, that obsession again, which was, oh no, I've re-entered this mental state that is, you know, dissociative. I can't get rid of it now because I'm already on the medication, which took it away before. So now this medication doesn't work and I am bereft of options. Um, I'm just, I'm just screwed. And that was a, a state of, uh, of mind that lasted for several years until I, I as I said, I experimented, uh, I'm gonna change my medication. Uh, 
and that didn't work. What that did was antagonize all those fears that I had of like any medication, any drugs, you know, drugs did this to me. Now drugs can't save me and blah, 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 blah. Everything went off the rails. It was, it was utter misery. And what got you out of it? So I said, I entered uh, uh, OCD specific therapy and my initial uh, urge with that was to combat the dissociative obsession, uh, that existential fear uh, of ruminating on my own perception and the quality of it uh, with OCD specific therapy. Uh, so I entered into that um, and we, we tried a number of different things. Um, some of, some of the exposure work that we did was, was helpful in combating, uh, little, you know, uh, uh, parts of my obsessive constellation, um, and other things, you know, were, were less helpful in it. Uh, ultimately it was, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an, <laughs> well, I'm not cured. <laughs> I mean, I guess is what I should say. I mean, like this didn't magically take anything away. Um, what it did was over the course of several years, I got a lot of knowledge about my condition as a whole and the various ways that this presents itself. And in my experience and in that therapy, I, you know, would talk to the therapist and I said, well, I, I, this happened to me when I was, uh, in my twenties, I, uh, I was, I, I had a really intense, uh, sexual dream, uh, a homoerotic dream. And I, uh, became obsessed with the idea that I was, uh, I was lying to myself and I was really a gay man. And I, even though I'd always thought of myself as, as, you know, I only had heterosexual urges since I was a kid. And, you know, I thought that I was living a lie and, you know, that because of this dream, everything, you know, threw my, my reality out of whack. And it turns out, oh yeah, that's a thing that happens with uh, people who have obsessive compulsive disorders, you know, it's called uh, sexual orientation, OCD, um, not uncommon. And it presents itself in all the ways that I had experienced. Um, I also had been having, uh, at that time that I entered therapy, a difficulty in my, uh, my relationship with my, uh, my fiance, my now wife, um, and these thoughts about, you know, are we, uh, you know, do I really love her? Am I supposed to be with this person? Maybe I should break up with her because I don't, you know, I don't think that this is right or there's something wrong here. And that is another presentation of OCD called the relationship OCD. And so through these, through therapy with, with a specific OCD bent, I found not relief of all of my problems, which, you know, you don't get necessarily in therapy, but I, I did get a lot of knowledge so that OCD couldn't uh, sneak up on me as much anymore. When something would happen, I would be able to say, okay, this is what's happening. You know, my, my OCD is picking this thing and it's, uh, it, it is, uh, focusing on that. And by being aware that that is the process that takes place, 
uh, I can intercede uh, with my actions. That doesn't necessarily reduce my anxiety, but it does reduce, like in the short term, but it can uh, reduce it in, in the long term and it will, you know, it, it leads to, um, let's say, better life decisions. Yeah, I think so many people and um, just have this perception of OCD being like, oh, somebody does something, you know, three times or whatever, as this really yeah. simplified, like, oh, they do something habitually and that's it. Um, mm -hmm. So this insight is so, I mean, I'm sorry you have to go through all of it, but it, it's so great for me and whoever's listening to learn. Sure. They don't, yeah, I mean, this is so not like common it. knowledge, right? Because there's a concept where, uh, like in patent law, um, if a term that's a brand name gets consistently used as like a verb, um, then you can lose your, uh, your trademark on your, on your brand name, right? So uh, Xerox, for a, a long period of time, fought to have people not say Xerox. I'm going to Xerox this this piece of paper. I'm going to Xerox this. That you know, you're to make a photocopy of it. Um, and I, I mention this because OCD is like a brand name that gets thrown around to so many things. Uh, if you are a little bit fastidious about how you like to clean your house, you're, oh, I'm OCD about being clean. If you're, a, you know, you like to get your, I don't know, it, it comes up a lot for cleanliness. That's the thing that pops out to me a lot. But also like people need to organize their stuff. Oh, I'm a little OCD, you know? And it's, it's this thing that just gets thrown as a blanket statement for everything. And it's so, I, I, it's a huge pet peeve, but it's also really uh, detrimental. Um, and I'll, I'll cite a couple of specific instances. Uh, when I was a kid growing, well, you know, teenager, uh, there was a show in the 90s called Monk uh, that I, I never watched, but it was popular. It was a very popular show uh, starring Tony Shalhoub, and uh, he played a detective that had OCD. And because he had OCD, he was very particular about the ways that, you know, he liked to have things and it, everything had to be just so. He was very, you know, like I say, fastidious. Um, but his OCD made him a better crime fighter because of his attention to detail and his ability to uh, focus on things and, you know, just this total fallacy. Uh, of uh, what disability is. It's like uh, uh, the classic like uh, blind kung fu master idea where you, you have a disability and it actually makes you stronger in other ways by like heightening your other senses. Like there's the superhero daredevil who is blind, but he uses like echolocation or something to, you know, fight villains and it's out there it's in the water that's what people think if they don't think it's they may not know they may know that it's not true uh, and that something like blindness is a very serious condition but in the back of their mind they might also think like i wonder if his hearing is a little better because he's blind you know like i wonder if he's getting around like 
I wonder if that's, you know, compensating. And there is a little something to that, but it's still a disability. Like it is a bad, it is not a desirable thing. People who are blind, I'm sure would tell you they would rather, a lot of people, I don't want to speak for every blind person, but, you know, it's, it's not a, a, you don't choose that. That's not the thing that, you know, you're like, ah, yeah, that's a better way to be. No, it's something that you deal with. Um, and you can live your life and experience uh, meaning and happiness and good relationships and all those things despite your disability, but it is a disability. So an OCD is a, you know, it's a registered disability, like, like a depression or you know, a number of other mental health conditions. But uh, I refer back to this TV show because it was so popular and that was what I knew about of OCD, I knew two things. The two things that I had heard, you know, I sort of growing up before the internet, uh, the internet became really prevalent when I was like in my senior year of high school or around then. Um, and uh, so there was a show and I also somewhere had heard that the, the guy who hosted Double Dare on TV, TV Mark Summers had OCD and he had a, like a thing about the like the fibers in the carpet in his green room all had to face the same way or something you know and i i thought wow that's a weird thing but you don't really dig into it much deeper right uh so there's these pop culture perceptions of what uh ocd is um that persist completely to this day uh and, and, you know, that TV show was on years and years and years ago. Uh, you know, it's, it probably first came on almost 30, 25 years ago now. Um, but apparently, you know, just looking at the Wikipedia page, Monk is was back for COVID-19, had a little TV special. Oh, and, uh, of course, of course um, they did. I'm like, because he's, he's a germaphobe. He's such a, like, he's a quaint, cute little germaphobe with OCD. Um, and... I, you know, full disclosure, I never watched this show because fuck that show, but uh, I, they may get super grounded about the condition and, and really dig into it, but I, I doubt that's the case because this is a, a comedy drama um, and the reality of OCD is not, uh, it's not funny and uh, uh, it is uh, really, really uh, harmful. Um, the other person that, that I think has a perception in, in the public now for OCD is maybe not, you know, household name, but uh, Maria Bamford, the comedian, um, has, uh, has OCD and talks about it frequently. Um, and uh, I, I like her a lot. Uh, I think she's, she's very funny and, and sometimes quite insightful about what she says. Uh, but there was this uh, ad campaign that happened recently between her and a uh, one of these, I think mean, one of these uh, uh, therapy apps on the phone, where they had Maria Bamford go out in like a man on the street thing, and do a little like, hey, I have this little you know thought about uh, my my dog, I think my dog's sexy. Is that an OCD thought? And then like interview people with these weird, quirky, like funny things about OCD. And uh, there was no uh, context to it at all. There was no like, yes, 
we can laugh about this, but also OCD is a debilitating condition for many people and makes their lives a lot harder than it needs to be, you know, leads to many other things, you know, uh, there was none of that. And uh, I just, it, it just set my teeth on edge, the whole thing, like, uh, it's, it's, it's hurtful and irresponsible. I think those, those, those things. Um, and I'm sure that you know, this is not restricted to OCD, uh, but as far as like depictions in popular culture, which are, are uh, uh, contradictory to the actual experience of that uh, condition or lifestyle, um, certainly not uh, confined only to OCD, but um, that's my, you know, that's the thing that I can say I have, <laughs> I have skin in the game on. And so uh, the ways that it's in the world, uh, the ways that it is treated and thought of as this, uh, this thing that's kind of cute and funny and gives, you know, people are very particular. They have little foibles or they're, oh, you just roll your eyes at them because they have to have things a real specific way and oh, darn their OCD. Um, that's what people think of it as. And it's not, um, you know, people kill themselves. People, the suicide is, is an issue. People who uh, deal with this condition, um, you know, live out, um, you know, really difficult existences um, without access to, to proper therapy or medication or both. Um, and uh, it's a serious, serious thing. Um, that, of course, you can find humor in um, after the fact, but um, I, I can, the one thing that I can guarantee you is that anybody who struggles with uh, OCD, it is, it's not funny um, when they're in it. Uh, we're getting close to that um, hour mark. Was there anything else? You also, that was beautiful. Sorry, that was kind of like an awkward segue, but I really oh, appreciate no, no. what you said. But um, sure. was there anything else you wanted to touch on? Um, I think that that covers most of the things. I would uh, just encourage anybody who thinks that they may have uh, uh, OCD, um, if they have problems, uh, regulating their uh their thoughts um they they find themselves um regularly very distressed by uh the things that are going on uh in their own heads um uh finding themselves at, at odds with themselves in that way um i uh would very much encourage them to to seek out professional assistance um and and talk to someone um talk therapy is a uh, can be a very powerful thing um and the the most important thing about anything with mental health is and i i this is my personal feeling but uh i i truly believe that as one of us goes so go we all uh and we have to um support each other uh, even if we're not talking about OCD, we're talking about depression, we're talking about, uh, you know, something that is, uh, uh, you know, a very difficult condition. Um, I, again, encourage people to get support and uh, encourage other people who are suffering with it to, to help the people around them if they can't, and they have bandwidth to uh, try and support 
support others uh, because uh, it's a terrible, terrible thing um, if anybody uh, uh, ever succumbs to these problems. Um, and uh, we should uh, do what we can to, to ever prevent that from happening. Agreed. I think that's why it's really important to have conversations like this. And um, as someone with bipolar one, I love talking about myself and telling people about all the crazy shit I've said and done, because more often than not, people are like, oh, I've experienced something similar, or I have these crazy thoughts too. And it's yeah. so good to make those connections and just realize that you're not alone. And like maybe you are crazy, but like it's okay because there's help for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it normalizing is is very important as well. Uh, like you're mentioning, I think that something that I do, uh, and I guess other people with OCD too, and and other people with other kinds of mental illness, like you start to feel like so weird uh, because you maybe you're the only person who's going through this. Like this is so specific to you. It's deeply personal. Nobody else could be going through this because, you know, how is that even possible that anybody else is as fucked up as I am? And, uh, you know, you, you start talking to people and it's like, oh, shit, like, <laughs> I don't know if it's better or worse, but it seems like most of humanity is suffering a lot of the time. Um, I, uh, I know something that's, you know, this is an aside, but it was is very difficult for me to have this perception that I'm the one who's hurting the most um, and my life is the one that's invalid because of these problems. Um, the truth is that you know everybody's dealing with something uh, and uh, there are certainly people who are in, in more or less distress, uh, but it's very, very, very common, especially now for people to be, um, suffering in really significant ways uh, with uh, mental health. And uh, it's not, uh, it's not a, an abnormal thing that doesn't open the door to uh, uh, trivialize it. Uh, but uh, more than that should open the door for people to feel as if um, they're part of this community, a large human community that is hurting um, that does uh, feel these ways and uh, they can get support and strength from, from those other people. If anyone wants to find your work or more of what you do, how can they, how can they find you? I am uh, currently mostly using Instagram to share my work and my Instagram account is at Mr. Mungo. Uh, which is just all spelled out, M-I-S-T-E-R-M-U-N-G-O. Mr. Mungo is a little character that I created uh, that I sort of use as a stand-in for myself uh, uh, to uh, tell stories that are related to, but not exclusively about uh, mental health. Mr. Mungo's great. I love him. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. He's, he is, he's my little guy who came out of a... Uh, you know, I was changing my medication again earlier this uh, year and over in the summer, and I something I, I subconsciously I think I wanted to start uh, making work that had a little bit more distance between my name, myself, and these stories, 
And so I started using this, this character to, to put these things into so that, uh, you know, if somebody reads it, I really, the, the thing was, I was worried that people kept reading these things that I would write and worry about me personally. Like they would, you know, feel sorry for me or be worried about me. And I didn't, like, I desperately did not want that to be the case. Uh, I want to be able to speak, you know, the, the truth honestly, but the reaction to it that I want is not like, oh, you know, are you okay? It's not. I need to call that. the doctor. Yeah, it knows. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's absolutely not that. So it was helpful to to uh, kind of put those things into a character so that people can can uh, read it in that way. And it's not. It is me, but it's not me. And also, you know, it it's a uh, a way for me to house other ideas and explore other things too. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for. Again, not in, just in this interview, but in your Instagram and stuff, just these super open, honest artwork. And this was a great interview. I have not had enough coffee today and you carried it. And I <laughs> am so appreciative. I like pounded a bunch of tea, but it wasn't enough. Uh, but yeah. It's okay. I, I really, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk about this stuff. And I think it is, it's important to, to combat the perception of, of what's out there. All right, folks, that's it for this month's episode. If you weren't aware, they come out the first Friday of every month. It gives me lots of time to edit, and it's just kind of a realistic timeline for myself. So that's why they're not once a week or every other week. I want to have the best content as possible for y'all while still keeping myself in check. And let's see, if you want to, I would love it if you subscribed, and that'll make it easier for you to keep on top of new episodes. The best way to support the podcast would be to just let people know about it. I think if you encourage people to listen to whatever episodes sound most interesting rather than starting at the beginning, uh, that's probably a good way to get into it. And let's see... I also have a PayPal. It's just my personal PayPal, but if you wanted to throw a few bucks my way, that's fine. I will throw that link in the show description. And let's see, the upcoming episodes. So I'm recording this episode in December of 2021, and it won't be airing until February. But as of right now, I have tentatively planned episodes on the federal siege of Ruby Ridge, and then also an episode on schizophrenia. So be sure and again, subscribe so you don't miss those episodes and thanks for listening.